In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out, while the temple was filling with smoke. The word of the Lord comes to us through Paul's first letter to Thessalonians this morning. In uh, chapter 5, verses 16 through 24, if you would like to turn there and join with us. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances. But examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved, complete without blame, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. When I was in junior high, well, if I'm honest, probably all through grade school too, I went to Adventist school, and they had a left side of the report card. How many of you remember the left side of the report card? Wow, just a few of you. Well, for those of you who didn't have the experience of receiving a right-hand and a left-hand side of the report card, the right-hand side said how you were doing in spelling, in reading, in writing, in math, in social studies, if that was applicable, art, etc. There was no grade for recess. Obviously, I would have gotten an A. Uh, But on the left-hand side, it had things like practices good safety habits. And my tendency to sprint down the hall and slide into the drinking fountain was not considered a good safety habit. Things like practices, uh, shows respect for other people's property. Things like shows respect for authority, and so forth and so on, were deemed unsatisfactory in needing addressing, and that always made parent-teacher conference and subsequent parent-student conferences at home very interesting. You could have a a sort of needs improvement without really getting dinged, and then I think there was a satisfactory there. They never gave you credit for being truly outstanding, and it's a good thing because I would have looked even worse. I always got certain checks, there were three of them at least, that were always needing attention on the left side of my report card. So parents, if you have children who were like me, Maybe there's no hope, maybe there is, you decide. (laughs) At the end of the day, that was a measurement of some sort, at least a, a measurement of a perception 
of my attitude? What was it that I expressed or modeled or spoke or acted out in relationship to authority? Or in relationship to uh, the rights and well-being of others? And so forth. What our schools understood, and I hope they still do, I haven't checked a elementary report card lately, but what I, I know they understood then was that attitude matters. It's one of the real difficulties with email today. Have you noticed that? It is very difficult to get a read on tone. Is somebody being sarcastic? Is somebody being rude or disrespectful? If they don't use your name or say hello or put a big smile after it, are they not happy to be speaking to you? Are they curt or rude if it's just a terse reply, yes, I'll be there, or whatever, instead of, dear Greg, exclamation point, smiley face, I would be happy to be there, sincerely. It's very hard to get a read on email, isn't it? Although sometimes you can sense attitude, can't you? And if you have the experience of parenting or grandparenting, you know all about attitude as well. Sometimes it isn't what is said so much as how it's said that communicates an unhappy truth. I think we know that when we're pulled over by a police officer, attitude matters. Y'all, have you all figured that out? Good for you. Yeah, it matters. And it doesn't always have to be necessarily what you would think. It doesn't always have to be a super uh, formal, cordial, respectful, super polite stance. Sometimes a, a sort of um, penitent, my bad, kind of casual attitude can serve just as well, can't it? Just depends on the officer and the crime. Attitude matters in an IRS audit. If you believe that you are above it all, I imagine that that IRS agent will work all the harder to prove that you're not. Attitude matters when you need to ask for something. When it's finally your turn, unfortunately or fortunately, to cash in a favor or to seek one in the first place from somebody. Attitude matters, doesn't it? Yes, no. So I'm not telling you anything you don't know. But what I am going to tell you today is not that complicated. It is important. We often forget that attitude in worship matters also. We often forget. See, the truth is that Jesus loves me when I'm good, when I'm bad, and always. The truth is that God accepts me as I am. That's our theological base. And so we think that maybe attitude doesn't matter as we come to him in worship. He does, after all, accept us.
and take us where we are. But I think that we're missing something there. I'm not going to cite chapter and verse, but you know that when Israel was encamped in the desert and God made an appointment with them, they took three days generally to get their act together. They cleaned the encampment. They cleaned their tents. They washed their clothes. And they went through other ceremonial pieces of individual cleansing in preparation for the special word or presence of the Lord. So holy was God to them that that was required. Attitude mattered. And people prepared their hearts and their minds to receive and to hear, to be in the presence of and to witness. And despite those preparations, it was a terrifying time. We have forgotten the fear of the Lord. Oh, no, 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 no. You will, maybe in, in, uh, in a point of drama or for illustration, you'll hear me preach fire and brimstone. But you're never going to hear me give you the fiery watch out for the Lord sermon. But I will tell you that our God is a consuming fire. That he's the greatest being that can be in the universe. That our God is not one to trifle with. That when we play with holy things, we have no idea what we're getting to. That he calls us by name and welcomes us into his presence is a fact of grace. An act of grace. But we have a work to do. Think about all of the psalms and all of the songs we sing. Come into his presence with what? Thanksgiving. Joyful hearts. It's not always possible, is it? Sometimes we are deeply wounded or sad or hurt or depressed. Sometimes we are beside ourselves for one reason or another. Are we still welcome in his presence? Yes. Because worship becomes an act of healing. But, you know, I want to just share with you uh, briefly, it's, it's again not so much a biblical piece, although I think we could go there, as it is a, a reality that we all experience. You have all been in a place where it had a, quote, bad vibe. Now, I know you are not crystal-toting, new-aging, uh, chanting, whatever, people. Thank God. But you do know what I mean by that when I say a place has a bad vibe. How many of you know what I mean by that? Almost everybody. You have a sense that some place has something wrong about it. Some of you have even gone into places where you have sensed 
evil. You ever been there? Now, there's a very simple reality that we're dealing with here. Chances are very good that if a place has a bad vibe or you sense evil there, that there's a reason. Chances are very good. Do you, do you know that this is so common that even in real estate, we can check in with Barbara Huerta, she'll know, but even in real estate you have to disclose if somebody has died in a particular place? And if you don't do so, it could void a contract? She's nodding back there. People don't want to live in houses where terrible things have happened. A house where a murder has happened is very hard to sell. Maybe we're a bit too superstitious or maybe something else. But on the other hand, maybe we can sense that something evil lingers in a place. Now, I don't want to spend too much time on that because you have also gone into places where you just sort of felt, felt lighter, haven't you? Haven't you gone someplace where it just kind of, oh, this is, a good, this is good. And you may not have expressed it that way, but at some level you were aware that something good was there. Have you ever had that experience? That's how church needs to be. As a pastor, I've gone to churches and said, oh, I don't think I could be here. It's a place where people aren't connected. It's a place where elders have gone to fisticuffs over doctrinal issues in Sabbath school. It's a place where a spirit of generosity is lacking. It's a place where God hasn't been worshipped in spirit and truth. And I've gone to other sanctuaries or churches and I've said, this is nice. What you bring here matters. If you come angry, I believe God will meet you at the door and work with you to transform you. But your anger affects what is happening in this place. When you come preoccupied and unfocused and unwilling to give up the clutter of your life and burden Christ with it for the moment and spend this time and focus on Him, you create a spirit of distraction. When you come anxious and penny-pinching, and sure that God is not going to provide in your life, and you have a one, and another one, and a five, and a ten, and a twenty, and two or three twenties, and a fifty and a hundred in your wallet, and the one is the one you leave here, and you exit with the rest. Well, you might have left a check. You know your, you know your story. You have created a spirit of want and need. And that does not encourage giving and the graces that come with sharing. When you come 
And it has been a fight for your whole family the whole way. And we are guilty. My wife and son and I, we have had our challenges. The Lord really um, works hard to save and protect us, but the devil works equally hard to disrupt pastors' lives on Sabbath morning. I have more bad stuff happen on Sabbath morning than it feels like on any other morning of the week. Because the devil knows if I walk in here angry or distracted or broken in relationship, my ministry to you will be affected. Now, I want you to hear me correctly on this. God is all wonderful, gracious, all powerful, all capable. You do not need to be in perfect health, of perfect mind, of perfect focus, of great joy, of tremendous whatever when you walk through that door in order to be safe and welcome and happy here. You don't. God is going to minister to you. But, having said that, what you bring into this place changes it. When we have somebody visit, they'll say to themselves, I get a really good feeling here. This is a warm and friendly place. Or you guys have good things happening here, don't you? Do you know I hear that from time to time? You may too. How encouraging that is. How wonderful that is. Worship is our focus collectively on the God who is Lord of all, who gifts us with every good gift, who provides for our needs collectively and individually. It's about honoring the God who saves and saves us totally and completely. About the God whose grace and forgiveness we celebrate. Our worship is about his goodness and his gifts. His creative, sustaining, redemptive, and recreative powers. It's about other. As I've said in my notes and said last week, our worship is about reordering the universe taking ourselves out of the center of the universe and putting God back in where he belongs. Our worship is about a renewed focus. Our worship is about acknowledging our derived nature. His eternal nature. His otherness categorically separated from us as creatures and yet having entered our lives and our humanity and our world in Christ. That's where we go. And so with that simple thought, I'm going to leave you this week. What you bring to this place will affect the blessing that you receive, that others receive, the feeling 
of the space in which we worship and the energy with which we collectively can sense the Spirit of God at work. I want you to listen one more time to just a few words of the psalm that we read as a call to worship, Psalm 95. Come, let us bow down in worship. Verse 6. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. For He is our God, we are the people of His pasture. The flock under His care. Verse 3. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. Verse 1. Let us sing for joy to the Lord and shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. We come to kneel. We come to sing. We come to shout. We're not shouters, are we? We're barely whisperers. Adventists, it's tough to get an amen out of this crowd, let alone a shout. (laughs) but he hears you he hears the silent hallelujah as well as the spoken one we've come because he's our God and he's called us and he's declared us his people and that is why we're here and so my dear friends What you bring matters. And as you prepare for worship next week, start Friday. Start thinking about what the opportunity of the day is going to be. Start anticipating what God has for you here. Start asking yourself, what would it take to be here at 11? If you're really brave, ask yourself what it would take to be here at 9.30 or 9.40. Ask yourself what God is calling you to do, to bring, to give, to volunteer. Ask God to give you an attitude of worship and a focus that's clear. Ask God to help you make this a place where all his people will want to gather and give him glory and give him praise. And now, we the congregation will respond to the word of the Lord as we give our gifts this morning. And now, O Lord, bless your people and your sanctuary. For we have come with a mind to worship and an attitude of peace. May we leave with your grace. Amen.